0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: As you know, Job's friends have been trying to comfort him and offer him sympathy during his hard time, but now they've gone on philosophical and theological attacks. You know those kind of people who just know the reasons why you are suffering, and they have it all figured out. That's Job's friends. And at first, we saw this guy named Eliphaz, who basically say that Job deserves his suffering and needs to repent. And then we saw Bildad not being so subtle. He was brutal in telling Job that he knew how life worked, and Job needed to repent. And now we come to the third miserable comforter, Zophar, with a very similar message. So let's jump in, Job chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Then Zophar the Naamite answered, Shall a multitude of words go unanswered, and a talkative man be acquitted? Shall your boast silence men, and shall you scoff and none rebuke? For you have said, My teaching is pure, and I am innocent in your eyes. But would that God might speak and open his lips against you and show you the secrets of wisdom? For sound wisdom has two sides. Know then that God forgets a part of your iniquity. So Zophar starts out by saying that Job is a talkative man who makes arrogant boasts, foolish scoffs, and self-righteous claims. It's like someone coming up to you and telling you to shut your mouth, you arrogant, empty, foolish man. Job wants God to hear him out. And Zophar is ready for Job to hear God out and learn that Job is guilty. You know, there's this passage in the New Testament from Romans 12, 15 that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And Zophar is doing none of that but he's full of judgment and condemnation. And he's pulling this card of judgmental generalization because he thinks he knows exactly how the world works. So Zophar, get this, he has knowledge, but he lacks wisdom. You know anybody like that? They're smart. They know stuff, maybe know the Bible, but they don't have wisdom to apply it rightly. It's been said, I I solved it this week to help me make the distinction between knowledge and wisdom. Get this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. That's about right. So Zophar is saying God judges the wicked. Yes, good knowledge. But he's applying that to Job. He's lacking wisdom in his application. Let him continue. Verse 7. Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? They are high as the heavens. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by or shuts up or calls an assembly, who can restrain him? For he knows false men and he sees iniquity without investigating. An idiot will become intelligent when the fowl of a wild donkey is born of a man. So Zophar is comparing God's wisdom to Job. God's wisdom is deep and has no limits. He's almighty. His knowledge is deeper than what Job can know. Job obviously does not know the depths of God because if he did, he would acknowledge the depths of God and repent of his sin. So Zophar is insisting that Job quit challenging God and start repenting before God. Verse 13. If you would direct your heart right and spread out your hand to him, if iniquity is in your hand, put it far away, and do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. Then indeed you could lift up your face without moral defect, and you would be steadfast and not fear. For you would forget your trouble as waters that have passed by you. You would remember it. Your life would be brighter than noonday. Darkness would be like the morning. Then you would trust because there is hope and you would look around and rest securely. You would lie down and none would disturb you and many would entreat your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail and there'll be no escape for them and their hope is to breathe their last. Huh. So he's laying it on. He's basically saying, come on, Job. If you simply would confess your sins... You would be healed. Remember that in the New Testament? James five sixteen confess your sins that you may be healed. It's as simple as that. Come on, Zophar. He's saying, get your heart right. Take sin, put it far away. Don't let wickedness take up residence. If you repent, then you will be healed. He keeps saying, God would lift up your faith. You wouldn't be shamed or fearful. Your troubles would pass away just like water. There would be more, no more darkness, but bright, sunshiny days. Job could walk around with hope and go to bed and sleep secure. And as a bonus, he would have people flocking to him for blessings. Why continue Job in your hopelessness and the way of the wicked when you could simply repent and be healed? Clean up your act, be healed and restored. Now, I want you to notice this. The motivation to repenting is not necessarily a restoration and reconciliation with God. The emphasis that Zophar puts on repenting is that if you repent, you get your stuff back. You get your goods back. If you repent, you'll get the blessings of God. Now, I think Zophar's argument is falling right into the hands of Satan, because what is Satan saying? Job only serves you because you give him the good stuff. Take it away, he'll curse you to your face. And Zophar is saying, Job, just repent and you get the goods. And so if Job is thinking, I want the blessing back, okay, I'll I'll, I'll fall into the hands of Satan, I'll repent and get the goods. You see how Zophar is falling along those lines. I would say that Zophar's approach is a health and wealth gospel through repentance. Repentance. Yes, it's true. We need to repent when we have sinned and find forgiveness in God, but that's not the case with Job. And Zophar is saying, look, if you want the blessings, just repent. His motivation seems to be the blessings. And if Job does not repent, he will not be restored. He won't get the goods. Because according to Zophar's mind, the innocent never suffer. And I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that the innocent, not perfect, we're not perfect, numbers so are perfect, but do you believe that innocent never suffer? Now, once again, I want to think about Job, what he's going through, hearing this. He had everything, lost it all. His body's falling apart. He's isolated and alone. And with friends like these, who needs enemies? So he's all alone. You can think about different agony, internal agony that you have. And one of those that some of you may be going through right now in this phase of your life, or any phase, I even go through it from time to time, is, is struggling with this idea of loneliness. You can even be around people and still feel lonely. In fact, it's been said that loneliness is one of the biggest problems that we have, and it can impact you emotionally. It can impact your body. It can make you fall apart. Someone has even said that it can give you uh, high blood pressure, insomnia, lower your immunity, disease, and someone even compared loneliness to smoking 15 cigarettes per day, and it's even worse than obesity, U.S. Surgeon General, one in the past said, during my years caring for patients, the most common condition I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. Now imagine this, Job in his isolation and his loneliness is being called to repent. Repent and you'll be fixed. Now that is not helpful at all. And so I wanna say something, this may be the most important thing I say to you today is this, it's really simple. Don't compound your agony with sin hunting. Don't compound your agony with sin hunting. Yes, you may feel real agony, but if you have repented and put your faith in Jesus, you are forgiven. And my brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this, forgiven people still feel pain. Forgiven people still feel loneliness. Forgiven people still feel uselessness and despondency. So don't heap up agony through your own self-condemnation. You are forgiven in Jesus. You are accepted in Jesus. You may be going through a trial right now for a variety of reasons, but don't put pressure and burdens on yourself by self-condemning yourself because those who are in Christ are not condemned and they are forgiven. Zophar, not helpful. Well, now it's time for Job's response. And you can think of Job's response like a lawyer presenting his case on behalf of their client and Job is presenting his own case. And what Job's pretty much gonna say is, Don't know why this is happening. I'm innocent, and yet I feel cut off from God. Let's see how he feels. Verse 12. Sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. Then Job responded, Truly then you are the people, and with you wisdom will die. But I have intelligence as well as you. I am not inferior to you. And who does not know such things as these? Now Job is speaking with sarcasm as he says that these three friends are so wise that once they die, there will be no wisdom left on the earth. He believes that he has the same intellect as his three friends and he doesn't feel inferior to them. He continues in verse 4. I am a joke to my friends. The one who called on God and he answered him. The just and blameless man is a joke. He who is at ease holds calamity in contempt, as prepared for those whose feet slip. The tents of the destroyers prosper, and those who provoke God are secure, whom God brings into their power. So, for starters, Job's friends think he is a joke. He's innocent, didn't do anything to deserve this punishment, yet his friends think that he's suffering because he's guilty. Is it, though? Job is arguing that evil people live in peace every day from those who destroy others and shake their fist at God. There's not always an immediate cause and effect. And so I want to say this two times for those who maybe are not getting this. Here it is suffering is not always a result of sin and blessing is not always a result of righteousness. From what you can see, suffering is not always a result of sin and the apparent blessings that people may have are not always a result of righteousness. And so Job thinks that his friends need to learn from the animal kingdom. Look at verse seven. But now ask the beasts and let them teach you and the birds of heaven and let them tell you or speak to the earth and let it teach you and let the fish of the sea declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this and whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes its food? Wisdom is with the aged men with long life is understanding. He's saying, basically, even the animals know that God is in control and that God is sovereign. And if you have a hard time understanding how God works and his sovereignty, you need to go ask a fish. You need to ask a bird or pick any animal. They know that God does what he pleases. God is God and he does what he pleases on this earth, with animals and with humans. And Job's friends think that they can wrap God into some type of formula. And they got them all figured out on the way he must work. But they don't. God is sovereign. And he will not always act the way we expect. And we're about to go into some of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible. On the godness of God. How about that? Let me tell you about God, the godness of God. Job 12, verse 13, just let the text speak. Let's do it. With him are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Behold, he tears down and it cannot be rebuilt. He imprisons a man and there can be no release. Behold, he restrains the waters and they up, dry up and he sends them out and they inundate the earth. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The misled and the misleader belong to him. He makes counselors walk barefoot and makes fools of judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their loins with a girdle. He makes priests walk barefoot and overthrows the secure ones. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on nobles and loosens the belts of the strong. He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people and makes them wander in a Pathless waste. They grope in darkness with no limit, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. The Godness of God. This great hymn of praise to the prerogatives and characteristics of God. It says that God has all power and wisdom. He brings kings to power and then he brings them down. He causes nations to rise and then fall. He withholds water in a drought, and then he can let it go in a flood. God is the supreme ruler and sovereign of all. He doesn't always act as we expect, and he doesn't fit into formula. And someone has called this God's wild sovereignty. And these three friends are telling Job, we know how God works. It's simple, plug in the formula, and then God, this is the way we'll have an output. Repentance, blessings. But the reality is, We do not exist to squeeze blessings out of God. We do not exist to manage God through transactions. We have been created to glorify him and to draw near to him. And I believe that if we're not careful, we can equate successful Christian living with blessings. I'm going to give you this quote by Larry Crabb. He's with the Lord right now. But he wrote a very insightful quote. I've broken it up uh, into three slides here. So let me read this to you and take a little bit slow what he says. He says, as a culture, present day, Christianity has redefined spiritual maturity. The reformers knew that we were saved to glorify God. We moderns live to be blessed. The mature among us are now thought to be successful, The happy, the affected people on top of things and doing well. We're more attracted to sermons, books, and conferences that reveal the secrets to fulfillment than to spiritual direction that leads us through affliction into the presence of the Father. We seem more interested in managing life into a comfortable existence than letting God spiritually transform us through life's hardships. And I do wonder if you do not see this as much because maybe you're not on, let's say, Instagram or TikTok where people will go out and have their quiet times (laughs) and then broadcast it, the nice little flowers in the background and sitting by an ocean just enjoying the Lord, living in his blessings And we're portraying through our books and through our social media that the Christian life, if you're successful, is all about being blessed. Plug in the formula, out comes the blessing. When the reality is, God is molding us and he's shaping us through trials. Put that on your social media page. You're going through trials. How are you responding to them? It's refining your faith. It's growing you. Not very exciting, is it? And yet that is the way God shapes us. And that is the way God molds us. So we don't want to be looking for formula to turn on the flow of blessings. We want to draw near to a holy God and serve him even when life is falling apart. Well, Job continues on in chapters 13 and 14, and he challenges his so-called friends and their tidy little system of understanding God. Basically, he tells them they should have kept their mouths shut. Look at chapter 13, Job. Look at verse 5. Oh, that you would be completely silent and that it would become your wisdom. (laughs) Sometimes the wisest thing you can do is to shut your mouth. We may not know what people are going through or why they're suffering, and sometimes it's best just to be quiet. And look look at verse 4 of chapter 13. He says, but you smear with lies. You are all worthless physicians. So they're they're, they're practicing theological malpractice. They're misrepresenting God. Look what he says in verse 7. Will you speak what is unjust for God and speak what is deceitful for him? Will you show partiality for him? Will you contend for God? Will it be well with you when he examines you? Or will you deceive him as one deceives a man? (laughs) He will surely reprove you if you secretly show partiality. Since they think they're speaking on behalf of God when they make these grand pronouncements of God's judgments of Job, then they better watch out. Because God will certainly punish them as well. Well, Job is, is done with them, Job's like, I'm done talking to you right now. Let me talk to God. Let me present my case of innocence before God. Let's see how this goes. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, I think one of the most popular verses in the book. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. There it is. That's no transactional formula. That's not trying to figure out some solution or blessing. Job's hope is in the Lord. And even though the Lord is ordaining all parts of life, including suffering and trials, he says, I'm going to hope in the Lord, and because I hope in the Lord, I'm going to present my case before him right now, and I'm going to ask for two things. Verse 20 and 21. Two things. Only two things do not do to me then i will not hide from your face number 1 remove your hand from me number 2 and let not the dread of you terrify me so he's asking for mercy for the pain to be taken away and for the terror of god to be shielded from his presence he literally feels that in his suffering that god is against him that's what he feels is it true No, it's not true. God is not against him. In your suffering and trial and pain as a believer, is God against you? No. But sometimes it feels that way, right? All right? Verse 23. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Tell me what I've done wrong. I am suffering. All my friends are saying I'm suffering because of my sin. Job's outlook is generally people suffer because of their sin. But he's like... I'm not sinning right now. He's not perfect. He understands that. But he doesn't believe he's getting what he deserves. God, what is going on? Why is this happening? Job 14. Job 14, once again, verse 1, a very popular verse. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You also open your eyes on him and bring him into judgment with yourself. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the numbers of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Humans are born, they suffer, and they die. Have a nice day. (laughs) <laughs> Job's mind is all over the place, right? He's in so much pain right now. He can't see anything good, but just the hard things in life. And he cries out to God in verse 13. He says, oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. Just, Just kill me put me in the grave, put your hand on me. And, and until you're done making me suffer and lift it, just keep me in the grave. He feels this strong arm of God. He feels like he's been cut off from God. He doesn't understand what's happening. And then he says this in verse 14 and 15. He says, if a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait and my, till my change comes. You will call And I will answer, you will long for the work of your hands. And I want to make sure that you understand this. That's the last verses we're going to cover in Job for now. I want you to understand this. Job just wants this relationship back with God. That's what he wants to feel. He wants God to call and he wants to answer God. He wants this reconciliation. See, his friends are like, Job, repent. You get the blessings. That's not Job's hope. Job's hope is not getting the goods back, though he gets the goods back at the end, right? Not his hope. Job's hope is, I just want my relationship with God back. I want to feel like I've not been cut off from him. I want to feel like that he's for me and not against me. I want to be reconciled to God. I want us to be walking with each other again. God has not left Job even though he feels that. And my brothers and sisters, if we can say that God has not left Job, even though he feels that, we can say to you right here this morning on the other side of the cross, God has not left you in Jesus Christ, even though you may feel that. And let's just take it to another level. Take it to something I read this week, I think it takes it to another level, is that in Jesus, Job's hope for reconciliation and restoration with God are met and it Job's hope for reconciliation and restoration with God in Jesus for us are met and exceeded. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in Jesus Christ, no matter what you're facing, you are not cut off, you are not condemned, you've not been separated from his love, even though you may feel that way? Because Job's friends are almost like this formula they want. Repent, get the goods. pre packaged religion. Input, output. Reap, sow. Right? So here's the deal. The truth is in Jesus, no matter what you're going through, it's not about a pre religion. It's that in Jesus, you've not been separated. In Jesus... You've been reconciled to God. In Jesus, there's no more wrath. And this is all in Jesus, no matter what you feel here this morning. I always like to think that there is a year in my life since I became a believer at 19 that I'm not dealing with some type of drama, trauma. I'm not sure I've had a full year yet as a believer. Maybe you have, I've not. And as I look back over this last year, are some drama and trauma that I've had with one of my kids, sometimes some mental, emotional anguish, and other things I don't even want to talk about. I need to know that when I'm experiencing those things, I don't need to compound my problems by feeling as if I'm getting what I deserve. Not only have I done bad, but I am bad. And you may feel that way when things are starting to fall apart in your life, that not only have you done bad, but you are bad. Not only have you done wrong, but you are wrong. My brothers and sisters who have repented and put their faith in Jesus, we must not believe the lies of the devil those who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation. And no matter what drama, trauma, trial you may be going through right now, even if it's your own doing, there is forgiveness and grace in Jesus. And in Christ, in Christ, we are in his righteousness perfectly and we're innocent.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message.